RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log Live is brought to you by Eagle Moss Hero Collector and their collection of exclusive Star Trek visual reference books and other great titles and gifts waiting for you at herocollector.com slash books. Use promo code MISSION10 at checkout for 10% off all books and graphic novels. It's 7 p.m. on the West Coast, and that means it's time for Mission Log Live. And welcome to our social media sanctuary, where tonight we'll be discussing the sanctuary, otherwise known as episode... Gosh, I hope I got this right in the notes. It's episode 8, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) On this third season of Star Trek Discovery. And once again, you heard the yes, because we have Holly Amos back with us this week to discuss the sanctuary. How are you, Holly? Good. Guys, look what... Guys, I, I broke out my holiday rack to Gino mug. It's a look at this little guy. Look at how cute he is. Oh, I'm he kind of so disappears. Jelly. I'm so jelly. Uh, thrift store. Thanks, mom. I don't think you're ready for this jelly because I'm so jellylicious, I guess. Right? Anyways, um, yeah, I'm good. Uh, but the, uh, the most important numbers, you guys. Are the ones you dial to reach us, 669-900-6833. Then you enter the meeting code and your password. Uh, of course, you can always use the one tap from your smartphone or better yet, click the Zoom meeting so we can see you. We and would love to see you. In your potential cool background. <laughs> <Everybody's>, <laughs> some people have different backgrounds every time. It's so fun. I haven't changed mine. I'm so boring. Are, no way, but you're on, you're on the ship. I'm on Discovery, yeah. It was so funny. I was on a work call earlier this week, and I have this background all the time. And someone says, wow, Norm, that's so cool. Like, you're on the Enterprise. I'm like, I'm never off the Enterprise. <laughs> never, never, never. So let's uh, take a look at who's uh, with us tonight. And then we have Carrie with us. Hello, Carrie. Uh, Eric Narda. We have one Paul, Paul Troutwine. That is one of the trifecta of Pauls. That is our, um, we're trying to get our quotient, our minimum quotient of three. Uh, we have Carrie. Uh, we saw Carrie. Uh, let's see. Carrie's posting a lot. Chris Riker. Hello. How are you, Chris? Ria's with us tonight. Scott. Hello, Scott. Rhonda. Help me, Rhonda. Uh, Jay. I, how many times do people say that when they hear the name Rhonda? Or like during Christmas time, Holly, right? Oh, oh Holly, God, you would, jolly Christmas. Yeah, that and so many people think that I was like born around Christmas. And I'm like, no. And they're like, were you conceived at Christmas? I was like, let's not have that conversation. Hey, oh, uh, look, <laughs> yeah, I was not born or conceived on Christmas. Thank you. I do remember working for Bed Bath & Beyond many years ago on Christmas or around Christmas. And there was another girl working there. Her name was Noelle. She was born on Christmas Day. And there was a customer who swore up and down that those had to be fake names because we were working together and he was like no that's fake <laughs> i was oh, like okay on. okay oh, yes humbug. we yes. have fake names sure yes, what, yeah what's your name scrooge really that's your real <laughs> name okay <laughs> uh let's see okay now we have two pauls i'm going down the well, list good. we have paul right so we have two pauls we need one more paul and i will be so sad if we don't get that extra paul come on paul where's the third one hi scott palm how are you uh, let's see. Brian. Brian's with us. How you doing, Brian? Rick. Hello, Rick. And Paul Harveth. There we go. Are we here? Yeah. The Paul <laughs> I was Fecta. like, he's saying hi, Paul. The Paul Fecta. We have it. Now we can move forward and have some fun. So, Dominic, how are you? Uh, good to see everyone. Um, Paul actually has the last text that I'm reading here. Hello, Pauls. They're plotting something. <laughs> I can feel it. They are... Uh, they're. 
they're 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 tricky those polls right so uh, Holly did read those numbers. Make sure that, again, if you want to reach us and get into the call queue, uh, make sure you dial 669-900-6833, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone, or better yet, click the Zoom meeting link so, like Holly said, we can see yo face. Mm-hmm. So a little housekeeping yeah. to do, a little housekeeping to do before we get into some of our discussion. Uh, next week on Mission Log Live, Holly's coming back to discuss episode nine. And this is the this is a two-parter that's coming up, I believe. Terraforma, yeah. part one and then mm-hmm. part two with me. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, did we see? We No, I don't think we did see at the end of Sanctuary. Did we see a preview? I don't think we did. Did we? Mm-mm, but there was a preview on the, uh, the ready room, which I, was exciting because you see. Should I give it away? Maybe I shouldn't say anything. I don't know. It is out there. Uh, there's, there's, there's somebody wearing an early TNG uniform with the, yes. the low neck and the, right, and the right, piping. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah, I saw, yeah. That was cool. We don't know. Do we, did you recognize the species? I didn't recognize the species offhand. I only saw it like one, that one time. I actually wasn't even really looking. I was looking at <laughs> the uniform. Like, uh, he had some big shoulder situation. I didn't recognize it, uh, but I wasn't. I was actually looking more at the uniform, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I so want that uniform, the season one uniform, to be like an actual like onesie pajama. I really want that because because uh, ex- basically what an excuse to buy a onesie. Those existed, <laughs> but I think that they were. I think they were the high neck ones. A company called Road, Robe Factory, who is still a licensee of Star Trek and is now called Uconic. Um, they rebranded themselves. They made them. I don't know if they make them anymore, but they did. There was TNG and TOS. And they I used were to buy one, like, were onesies. tons of stuff from ThinkGeek, but I don't think ThinkGeek is around anymore. No, because right? so they, they got have... bought out by GameStop, and GameStop kind oh, of was like liquidated right. them-ish. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, ThinkGeek did some cool stuff too. Yeah, I got a really sweet, I still have it, my Doctor Who exploding TARDIS a la Van Gogh. What are you guys doing on regular Mission Log next week? Uh, so we are going to be dropping Soldiers of the Empire on yeah. Thursday, which is uh, it's cool because I, I, I dig J.G. Hertzler like so much. I had a chance to meet him and Robert O'Reilly after uh, Klingon karaoke at uh, the 50th. Um, yeah. And uh, those they're they're fabulous, fabulous gentlemen. And uh, J.G., uh, I like as I just, you know, uh, as Martok is just absolutely fabulous. Um, however, I am going to spoil something a little bit. However. I am a little hard on the Klingon culture in this episode. Oh, so okay. Just putting it out there for those of you who want to send me the emails. Don't blame John. Blame me. And I'm completely sober during that episode. So my critique is straight up my own. <laughs> You're going to get angry emails from, from Klingons. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. You know, I would is... be beside myself if somebody sent you an angry Klingon in Klingon. I hope so. I hope so. And you know what? I want to see, like, you know, um, I, I, if I said something out of line, I don't think I did. I was just being honest. That's all. And that's, that's you know, that's all we can be. That's all we can be. <laughs> so uh, speaking of honesty, let's talk about some poll numbers. Let's talk about the honest people's uh, choices here on the poll. Uh, <laughs> so last <laughs> week we asked everybody who should be the permanent first officer of Discovery. There was 103 votes. Uh, Tilly, who is the acting first officer, she got 42%, which was the highest. Mm. Nilsson got 27%, so she was in second place. Uh, OO got 22%, and Reese got only got 8%. Like, I feel like Reese would be 
Good. Asian Brothers, man, out there. Come on now. I don't, that's sad. Um, this week we're asking you guys, what would, what should Saru's signature order be? <laughs> so far we had, well, the last time I looked, it was 38 votes. Hit It got 3%, which I get it. Like, we've already heard Hit It. That's trademark. Execute, which he says, <laughs> and I think Execute is actually okay. Like, I think I'm, of all the ones that were mentioned in the episode, I think I'm Team Execute. He just needs a better delivery. Um, hashtag, that hashtag has, team execute is that yeah, a t-shirt yeah. that has 40 percent right now manifest which everybody hates according to tilly only has eight percent and he also says carry on in the episode which actually surprisingly a lot of people like it's at 50 percent right now mm. the reason i don't like carry on i think is because it sounds like like something was already going on he got interrupted and then he's just like okay carry on like it's not i don't feel like it's something that you say at the beginning of any sort of like mission. I have seen a lot of people suggest that he should say proceed. Oh, that's interesting. Well, you know, it's it's like uh like hit it, execute, man- well, manifest is just terrible. I don't know where that came up. So, but somebody there's there's also there's a bunch of writing. So John Champion uh-huh. said uh he thinks it should be let's make it funky, y'all, which is no. Why, John? We were having we were having such a great discussion, Holly. Then you had to bring John's suggestion. Somebody else suggested ludicrous speed. All oh right. yes, absolutely. Or like, let's go plaid. Yeah, no? someone else says that he champions just go, which I don't champion simply because that was Lorca's. Lorca was like go, go, wasn't he? Yeah, Lorca said go. Spin it. When somebody else said, "Why not just jump?" and I'm like, "Because jumping is not all they do." Yeah. Oh, well, here's the thing. I was reading this uh, this one blog post, and it's like, so what was Kirk's signature saying? And someone said the order of what he wants to be done. Yeah, it's like, yeah he didn't. I mean, the signature command thing did not happen until Picard when he right. says engage. Right. And that wasn't always a thing, right, until it became a thing. It wasn't. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't a thing until fans started, like, picking up on it, and then the writers picked up on that, right. basically. Like the like a Picard maneuver, like the tug on the, uh, you know, on his uniform. Oh yeah, that became a thing, right? Yeah, that was a thing, and that was simply because it rode up on them when they sat down. Like, <laughs> I know it was like, oh, this is uncomfortable. Picard maneuver. Yeah. Well, there's people in chat. Somebody says, "Step on it, get it done, move it." Get it done. You can't take that away from Jellico. That's Jellico saying. It right? is Jellico saying, isn't it? Yeah. Keep on trucking. <laughs> <laughs> If you guys have like seriously like honestly, if you want to put this stuff in the uh, in the Twitter uh, poll, please do because we can just add this to the next uh, to the next chat next week. Um, I have to address some of the Klingon fans that were I don't think they were all too happy about uh, my you know my my spoiler about this week's mission log. Let's see, uh, Dominic says what angry Klingon text, but it's not in Klingon, so it's not how angry can it be? Uh, let's see, Chris Riker says Norman reviews like a P apostrophe tack. What does that mean? I'm just kidding. I know what patak means. I was Relax, like, mm, do I have to explain that to you? <laughs> Narda says, being honest is wonderful when it's mixed with respect. It's always mixed with respect when it, you know, most of the time when it comes from me. Most of the time, unless I'm in that kind of a mood. Uh, let's see. Dominic says, I get the Ferengi dumpster fire. What did the Klingons do? Well, you'll have to wait until Thursday. Oh, yeah. the Ferengi. What? No, the Ferengi are so fun. I did not dumpster fire them. I don't know where Dominic is coming from that, but when we were doing Ferengi love songs, we did 
kind of come down on them a little bit. I mean, the Ferengi are meant to be ridiculous, and they knew that after their first appearance in TNG, where they were supposed to be like the major foes, but they were too funny, and that's when they came up with the Borg, who are horrifying. I'm 34 years old, and I'm still afraid of the entire concept of the Borg and losing individuality. That scares me. Mm-hmm. But, like, they knew after that first episode that they were too funny, and it was a joke. Like, it's it, done on purpose, you guys. Yeah, they became a Rotter Moe. Right, they became yeah. Marauder Mo, big time, and we and I love the Marauder Mo reference back then. So I uh, love Ferengi culture. I think it's fun and ridiculous, and I. You know, we were talking in, in the uh, in the show. We were talking about that, and I think that it works in when it's parsed out over like different segments of the episode, as opposed to like the focus of an episode. Dominic and Chad is saying that it's a patriarchal dumpster fire. Yeah, it was a statement of how ridiculous patriarchy is. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, Paul says, Ferengi Love Songs was a lot better than I remembered, actually. It, it wasn't terrible. I don't think it was terrible. Uh, it, it was just, I don't think I was ready for so much, like, concentrated, like, Ferengi, patriarchal, sexist culturalisms, right? But then again, it's, it, it is what it was. But we're not, you know, I got, I got to keep moving along. I got to get, like, jump into what we're going to be talking about. We're talking about the sanctuary. We're talking about the sanctuary. We have listeners lined up. So I'm going to try and get through our review, our recap here, fairly quickly. So I'm here ready. we are. We are in episode eight, season three, Discovery, the Sanctuary. <clears throat> in sick bay, Dr. Hugh Culber is sidestepping a barrage Fipla Giorgio's bravado as he attempts to diagnose what he believes is a life-threatening mental health issue and one that almost cost her and Michael Burnham their lives back when they rescued Book from the emerald chain salvage pens on Hun Hao. Speaking of Book, it turns out that Kahim, his brother in every way but birth, who Book left behind 15 years ago on their homeworld of Quijan, has reached out for help. Did I say that right, Holly? It's Quijan, right? Quijan, yeah. Quijan, okay. Yeah. Just checking, just checking. Uh, Osira and the Emerald Chain are coming for Kahim, and Burnham persuades Admiral Vance and Captain Saru to assist. Vance agrees, with the caveat of Discovery being in a supporting role only. Book further explains that when the burn happened, it shifted Kuejian's moon, causing the tidal shifts to force the native sea locusts to move further inland, causing massive food shortages. The Emerald Chain traded a repellent to abate the swarms in exchange for transforms. Also native to Kuejian, and the very same creatures that Osira feeds to her ne'er-do-well nephew, Tolo, as punishment for letting Book and Rin, her prize and Dorian captive, escape. Meanwhile, on Discovery, Captain Saru and acting number one Tilly are testing out new signature command phrases as they stop in engineering for an update on the SB-19 data from Navarre. Stamets and Adira have discovered the point of origin of the burn by isolating a code hidden in a melody that they all have been hearing and experiencing since they emerged from the wormhole. Stamets assigned Adira the job of finding the signal because he feels that she, correction, they, are best suited to code the necessary location algorithm. Back in 6th Bay, Giorgio has been put into stasis so that Dr. Culber can study her ailment at the atomic level, but her cerebral stress causes her to physically destabilize as one incredibly violent memory continues to haunt her even at the molecular level. After being shocked back to consciousness, Philippa discovers that she is dying, and Culber tells her that deciphering these memories may be the key to finding her cure. Upon reaching Quijan, Burnham and Book beam to the surface and are met with swarms of curious sea locusts and a well-armed cadre, led by Tarek's, rather, Book's brother, Kahim. And in orbit above, 
Osira arrives on the scene in her very heavily armed battlecruiser, the Viridian. Kahim explains to, to Book that Osira wants Rin at all costs, and a deal is Rin's life for the sea locust repellent to prevent planet-wide famine. Forced into a corner, Saru is pushed to execute a defensive posture against Osira, and the battle is joined. Lieutenant Detmer and Rin team up in Book's ship because she has the skills and he has the know-how to take down Osira's defenses. Knowing she's been beaten, Osira leaves with a warning that the Federation will feel the full weight of the Emerald Chain when next they meet. As the battle rages on in orbit, Book and Kahim are embroiled in a battle of their own. And in the end, the two brothers realize that they have both been hurt by the 15-year distance of time. They reconcile in the best possible way to save themselves and their planet, embracing each other and the power that they were entrusted with as stewards and empaths of the planet. Along with a technical push from Discovery, Book and Kahim use their abilities to communicate with the sea locusts and urge them back to sea. The famine has been averted, and Quajan is safe for now. In the mess hall, as the bridge crew is regaled by Detmer's tale of piloting badassery, Tilly finds Rin sulking alone as she sits with him. He shares his secret and the reason why Osira wanted him silenced. The emerald chain is running out of dilithium. Finally, Burnham and Book say farewell to Kahim, and Book admits that he wants in on this new federation that Burnham and Discovery are trying to rebuild. He wants to be a part of something bigger than himself, and Burnham could not be happier for this next chapter in their adventure together. As for explaining the name, Terex, well, that's for another time. The end. Woo! Yay! That was a mouthful. Many names in that recap, and I hope I got most of them right. Yeah, a lot, lot of names. Um, interesting that Book changed his name. Yeah, Terex. That sounds... Uh, aggressive. Terex? Yeah. I thought that it sounded like Neelix, and I was like, oh, he's, uh, he's like... <laughs> Terex and Kahim, they sound like... Well, they sound priestly, don't they? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, kind of like shamanish. Um, kind of shamanish. But I found it interesting that Book changed his name, and, uh, you know, he sort of gets an annoyed response from Kahim at one point when he corrects him, and he's like, book like you have to call me book and um what i think is really great about that is that it parallels um adira's pronoun preference which was an incredible scene and i'm sure we'll talk about that more but it you know adira and her not her they Mm. um saying that they prefer those pronouns you know paul's response was okay which should Mm -hmm. absolutely be everybody's response when somebody asks you to use a different pronoun or a preferred name and i feel like the great parallel is that you know paul is an example of what to do in that situation and kahim acts super annoyed and that's how not to do it Right. That's actually a really great point and, and something that I felt... I think I, it's great that, the, that it was in the same episode, too. I'm yeah. sure we'll learn more about the name change later, but I think that it was great that the, those were paralleled in the same episode. Well, let's see what our listeners have to say about that because we have a couple callers lined up. And uh, Earl, let's pipe in Chris. He has he is online for our first caller. Hello, Chris. It's Christmas long time. time. No <laughs> That's right. It's been a long, long... 36 hours since I saw you last, Norm. Long uh, road getting from there to here? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yes, it is Christmas time here in the Bauer household. 
Yellowknife's Little Tree. We have an advent calendar and some stockings on the door. Uh, so yeah, uh, very good. We have a pumpkin old fashioned, which Norm, you might remember. Me. Oh, you can't see it. There we go. Oh yeah, we were yeah. talking about yeah, that. Yeah, we were talking yeah. about that. Callback. Um, so, but no, yeah. Thanks for doing good. Once again, this was a, a good episode. I liked it. Yeah, it was a good little parallel. Holly, you were talking about between the name thing. Um, I really like just top to something else. Tilly's sort of command moment at the end. I like it because it works two ways where she like sort of figures out what, how to beat the ship. And the answer is go have Detmer do it. Mm-hmm. I like that because it is co- sort of combines like the business side of being an XO like, what is the tactical answer here? How do we solve this tactical problem? But also the sort of personal side of being sort of high on the totem pole and being able to manage well. And she knows that Detmer's been having, you know, sort of a rough go of it. So how do we help her? We let her do what she does best, which is fly real good. And so you, like, give her this opportunity to sort of come back out of her shell and that her Tilly's ability to sort of read the room in that way, I thought was really cool. That's a that's a good point. And I feel like Tilly um, suggesting that they do what they did, which is essentially kind of unsanctioned, uh, A, great thinking outside the box, which you do need in a command position. Um, but I think it was, it's, I, I guess I didn't realize that what Detmer might have been struggling with was her confidence. And like you see, I mean, she even says when she's flying that ship, like you have to, whatever's bothering you or whatever it is, you have to face it. And, you know, she takes manual control of that ship and you immediately see her confidence come back. And I don't think that I even realized that that's what her, her, one of her issues. I mean, I'm sure that there's several things going on in her head, but um, yeah, for her to regain her confidence and for Tilly to have seen that is, yeah, that's a great point that she kind of, you know, kills two birds with one stone. And I think that's why Saru, uh, he, he kind of justified himself in, in in a sense where he said that Tilly understands the crew. That's why he wants her there. It's not so much that she, she's going to learn command along the way. It's it's very much like Savick not understanding that the, the, the Kobayashi Maru isn't about winning. It's about character. It's about your test of character. And that will grow over time. That will grow as you grow into the role. You're going to have to make choices that are hard to make, that people won't like, that are going to have to define you as a leader. And that's what, you know, Tilly understands that, okay, in order for us to grow, I'm going to have to make these choices. These choices are going to have to be respected. I'm going to have to find the best people for the job. And I'm also going to have to get them out of whatever dilemma that they're in right now. And she understands that. She knows what's going on with Detmer. And she says Detmer needs a confidence boost. She's also the best pilot on the ship. So... It's kind of like a win-win-win, right? If it, yeah. every, if everything works out, uh, and uh, Tilly is, you know, she. I, I also love when Saru said that, you know, the the command track program that you were on was 936 years ago, or something to that effect. It's like it doesn't it doesn't exist now. You're on yeah. a new command track program, and it's basically on the job training. Yeah, and, I mean, I don't. I I feel like did he say this or was it inferred? Now I can't remember. Um, you know, that he, Saru, either said outright or implied that, like, she would have finished the program had they not had to jump yeah, 930. Like, what we've all been through far exceeds, like, the expectations of that program. He's like, the whole future jump, he's like, you've you've done real well. Yeah, he definitely said, he, he said it outright. I think it was... I mean, she would have finished that program had they not had to go into the future, though. Like, right. That's what I felt like was implied. If not, but think how much stated. experience that she's getting. You know, like I said, on the job training. I mean, there's no simulator 
you know, in the academy that's going to be able to train you. No, it's great. This. It's like being thrown into the deep end of the pool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she's going to, she's, she's growing in leaps and bounds more so than, and, and Saru's been through the command track, so he knows that, okay, yeah, sure, she would have probably experienced some of these things along the way, but, you know, the Federation was very insulated at the time, so most of what she had learned would have been, you know, in the diplomacy track in making sure that uh, a ship runs right, it runs smoothly, yada, yada, yeah. yada. But now it's like, this is how do we have our ships survive the diplomacy that has never been used before in this, in this century. So, right. and, and expand the Federation's influence where it has shrunk, uh, shrunk, shrank over the last, what, couple centuries yeah. right after the burn. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, what did you think of Osira? She's interesting. I like that actress. I don't, I don't think I've seen her and stuff before, but she's doing a really good job this week. She's Canadian actress. Okay, not sur- okay. not surprisingly, and the reason I ask is because I felt like her, you know, they they had, we've heard her mentioned in several episodes and kind of building up to when we actually get to see her. And I think the actress is doing a great job, but I felt like her reveal, I was sort of like, oh, well, that's she feels less menacing than I expected her to be. I, I do get a bit of that. I was I was wondering like if she was going to be not maybe not a legacy character, but like some you know seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, and it's like she's just an Orion lady, and she's a very good you know compelling Orion lady. But I do get that that it's like she just is, happens to be the person who is in charge of this quadrant. But you know I've I've liked her beside that. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm curious if we get to see more of her later on. I mean, I feel like she's going to have a lot to do with the end of the uh, with the end of the season, but I don't know. She, she turned around and I was like, Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> maybe it's because we've never really established the Orions as like a singular Orion villain. I mean, that's a good point because I, they even mentioned in the episode, and this is an interesting turn of events for the whole species is that they used to be slaves and now right. they're like enslaving other species. And so maybe it's just that I'm like used to seeing, them be slaves and not the other way around. I mean, she's a badass. You know, she kills Talor. She implies that she killed his father as well, which I assume is her brother or brother-in-law. Um, so, I mean, she definitely is mean. But, yeah, I don't know. She just turned around and I was like, well, that's that's an Orion. I'm not scared. I just thought that the Orions kind of looked a little too, like, in vogue. You know, to be threatening. They were... They're like gorgeous aliens, and I don't find gorgeous aliens threatening. You know, I find kind of like Rin, you know, with his more angular and Dorian features more threatening. I don't know. You, know, you think just, Rin is more or less threatening than other Andorians? I think they look more threatening now. Okay. Because of the more angular features. You know, I mean, I've always thought the Andorians always kind of look angry, you know, and, and a little off-put or put off. But I never really, like, the, the like these Orions just, they don't, they just don't seem... They don't seem like they have the teeth that they are meant to have. But I mean, again, that could be just a product of you being used to what the Orions have been up until now, which are low on the totem pole in terms of like command. But I'm even like talking about like, um, I'm more talking about like aesthetically. Oh, aesthetically. Okay. Yeah. I just think there's something about their, their overall appearance, like the way the makeup is and stuff. This isn't really working for me, but that's not really just <laughs> that's my nitpickiness of there. Um, um, I want to give you a, one more shot, Chris, at a question here before we have to move on because uh, we have a couple other colors lined up and we have to get to Eagle Moss pretty soon. So um, 
what else about the episode that uh, that that struck a chord with you? Uh, this is just a little aesthetic production thing, but I really like. I like the sort of carved wood blow dart guns that the Those cool. people have. Like yeah. a, just the choice to be like, yes, we're going to use blow dart guns in thirty one eighty eight. I, I, I agree with that. That's a that's a strong position. Um, but also they are just very beautiful. They were sort of carved, smooth. Uh, yeah, those were really cool. It added to sort of the like world building of that that planet. Yeah, I like that they were like they well they had obviously like incredibly strong defenses, right? And their offenses like the blow dart guns. And I was kind of hoping that they would have like swords or something like that. You know, like something that not energy based, because everything was very organic and you know, that, that kind of aesthetic on that planet. But yeah, I, I, I like that touch on that. And they were like, they had really nice close-ups, especially when, you know, when um, um, that one was trained on book, you know, you really got a close-up of the wood grain and the way that it was carved and the handhold. It was perfect. I mean, they're doing a really great job on the props. And it, that's partially because they know with as high definition as TVs and stuff that, that we have, like they can't, because back in the day they used to have what was called hero props. And those were the ones that you would see up close and everything else were these like BS foam, whatever's, but everything now has to be look as good as a hero prop because like we're super paying, the makeup has to be really good too, for that reason. Yeah. Um, so I think all of those departments are doing a fantastic job knowing that like we can see everything very clearly. <laughs> So sometimes you got to be like, um, you know, and a lot of people want their Deep Space Nine and HD and kind of like up and all that kind of stuff. But you got to be careful what you wish for because some of that stuff doesn't translate well. All right. All right, Chris. Well, it's good seeing you, my friend. Thanks for calling in. And um, try not to call in like uh, with such a long span of time. You know, like I know it's not like Kahim and uh, and Book, not 15 years, but, you know, give us at least a, a couple more days because I did see you on. It was great to see you on Sunday. I'm glad to see you every every time that we have our Patreon live chat. Um, it's a pleasure to have you there. It's a pleasure to have you here too. So stay safe, my friend, and get to work on that robot tree, okay? I was <laughs> I was hoping that tree was going to turn into a robot. Don't disappoint me. All right. Next All right. week. Next week. <laughs> Take care, brother. All right. Good to see, see you. All right. All right. You know what time it is, Holly? <clears throat> it's time for Eagle Moss. It's Eagle Moss time. So uh, for the listeners out there, you know what we're going to be talking about. For the listeners who are coming in or you're going to be watching this later on, this is what we're going to say to you because we do love our Eagle Moss. And Mission Log listeners, they are familiar with the collections of model starships that are gleaned from every corner of the Star Trek universe by Eagle Moss Hero Collector. But they may not be familiar with the wide and ever-expanding variety of officially authorized special edition books published by Eagle Moss and available online at the Eagle Moss Shop. Fans who pay a visit to the exclusive Star Trek bookshop at herocollector.com slash books will discover a range of definitive visual guides that go as deep into Star Trek history and canon as any books ever published, each extensively researched and developed by Eagle Moss Hero Collector under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson. That's a capital expert, by the way. That is a capital expert. <laughs> Books from the Star Trek Shipyard series present a timeline of almost every ship that has ever appeared in the Star Trek TV shows and movies from the original series, Forge of Discovery, Backwards to Enterprise. Some of these volumes are dedicated exclusively to Starfleet ships, while others focus on ships from other members of the Federation, including the Vulcans, Andorians, Tellarites, and Bajorans. 
Books in the Designing Starship series boldly go where few have gone before, deep behind the scenes into the conception, development, and detail of ships from every era. There are even volumes from the comprehensive official Star Trek graphic novel collection. Yeah, so it's the holiday time. And I'm sure people are looking at all different ways to be able to get that special something for that special Star Trek fan in their life. So for every fan from every generation... Plus, especially for friends with Mission Log Live, make sure you use code MISSION10 at checkout and receive 10% off all books and graphic novels. So browse around their shop, visit herocollector.com books, and use promo code MISSION10 at checkout for your 10% discount. And I just got a notification the other day that uh, my Voyager uh, Hero Collector uh, 25th anniversary book nice. is going to be coming in the mail soon, so I'm totally stoked about that. Uh, so, okay, so we have uh, Casey on the line. Casey, uh, go ahead, uh, Errol, pipe in Casey. And Casey, how are you? Thanks for joining the show. What's up, Norman? How you doing? Can you hear me? I can yeah. hear you just fine. Excellent, excellent. Oh, man, what? How, so many feels. Uh, okay, <laughs> let's, let's address deep, the... Deep breath, Casey, deep breath, man. And then you're well, gonna get it all you know, out, right? I'm really curious what you guys think about the, um, the, the scene with... Uh, with Adira and the whole uh, them addressing the whole uh, non-binary thing, hmm. what do you guys I think about that? I thought it was a great sequence. Um, I did <sighs> so many mixed feelings. I have so many mixed feelings. Do you? Okay, so my <laughs> yeah. only sort of like negative about that scene um, was that Adira seemed um, kind of annoyed that you know she was kind of. I don't want to say huffy. I don't know how to phrase it. Um, but, you know, she seemed upset that she was continuing to be called she when she had not ever, you know, she even she said that she'd only ever told Gray this. So yeah. um, that was my only kind of negative takeaway from it. I was like, well, you can't really be upset with Paul <laughs> if you've never voiced this before. That being said, um, I think without that sort of, for lack of a better way to put it, I think without that sort of huffiness, it, it was a great way for her to address it. Just be like, this is what I prefer to be called. I've never felt like a she. Um, and my favorite part of it was Paul, was Paul's reaction. Paul was Absolutely. just like, okay. And that yeah. should be, again, and I said this earlier, is that should be literally everybody's response. When and, somebody asks you to use a different preferred pronoun or to use a different preferred name, that should be everybody's reaction. Okay. That, that's why I have mixed feelings because it's like, uh, on the one hand, this is super topical. This is super like, this is sort of where our society is right now. We're on this verge of mainstream acceptance for something which has been sort of a, not mainstream previously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on the one hand, it's awesome. And, and the way that they handled it was awesome. Uh, on the other hand, uh, why it, it shouldn't even be a big deal. It should just be like, you know, they, them, you know, in yeah, the future, this is so far ahead. Yeah, it's a thousand years in the future and we're sort of beginning the yeah. process or halfway into the process of normalizing it in 2020, whereas like that shouldn't be a thing in the future. But again, like you have to take into consideration that Star Trek has always been a reflection of what's going on yeah. with the human mm-hmm. species and the world at that time. And this is something that they are, you know, they're trying to have the representation that Star Trek has always had, which is what is, you know, 
has not been the norm and give these people the representation that they absolutely deserve. I mean, listen, I am. And that's wicked cool. Uh, And I totally agree. I totally agree. But at the same time, it's also weird, like as a progressive Star Trek fan to, to reflect on, you know, uh, rejoined in DS9 and like the first kind of tiptoe. And I'm really happy because I thought they were going to punk out on us with the whole they thing. I thought Mm -hmm. they were going to be like, oh, they're a trill. And so they have multiple people. And I'm like, I was going to be ticked off Mm -hmm. if they did that. And they didn't do that. Um, That might have been, honestly, that might have been part of the reason why they decided to have Adira be a human host. Because then they can't punk out on it. Yeah. Yeah, but it's just because they kind of did the Paul punk out thing back in 1995. In rejoined, and at like, you know, Iris Stephen Bear completely admits that they kind of punked out, and that was because. And I do appreciate that in in the in the documentary that they they addressed that those things should have been handled uh, better. Right. Um, I'm glad you asked this, Casey, because I wasn't sure how to address this, and now we have to address it because it's a question, and I think it's a great question. So I was thinking about it after I saw this episode, and I'm like, how do I phrase this? How do I frame this in the correct way? Please mention it in terms of Babylon 5. (laughs) Uh, You know, I wish they did a little bit more with that in Babylon 5, to be honest with you. I mean, they tried, but... um, with with how they handled it in the show, there there are three different I think three different layers that we have to take a look at when it comes to this scene. The one was like the teaching moment. Star Trek is you know it's it's responsible when when they have that teaching moment to the audience, and I understand that you know we are talking uh, collectively as a group of uh, progressive fans that are watching this. So I agree with you. Why do they actually have to address this in such a clear, uh, crystallized way on? in the future, in 900 years from now. But I also think that it's because it still has to be addressed. It still has to be. Because it's not for the characters, it's for the audience. It's for the audience. Yeah. I, yes, absolutely. Which was a little too meta, kind of like the, the catchphrase thing. It was a little too meta mm. with the, the captain, with Saru's thing. I liked it. It's funny. Yeah. I'm a Star Trek fan. I get it. It's funny. Yeah. But, but I uh, think that for for like fans like us, we'll be like, I understand because we... Because we're progressive thinkers and because that we understand why it's there, we can accept the fact that tolerate it probably a little bit more than most who need to hear that message, yeah. who need to understand why that's important. And it's just as important as asking someone to call you by your actual name. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I'm not like calling data. you Case. I'm not calling you K. Hey, you, you can know, call me Case. That's but, okay. that, but the thing is that you just gave me permission to do so. And that's right. the important point is the permission to call them what they want to be called. Yeah. Be yeah. Big, I mean, the same goes you know. for, you know, yeah. I mean, the same goes for nicknames. If you want to change your name, if you are being called a nickname and you prefer to be called by your full name, like if somebody says, I prefer to be called this, just, just do it. Absolutely. Just call them that. Like, what is it? Uh, I mean, and listen, the the level of representation that I think that they're giving all of these, you know, transgender, non-binary. I mean, obviously, we have gay representation in this, too, um, and a very loving relationship. I am white, cis, straight, and I, I mean, I have had representation my whole life. And I'm so excited for these people who haven't to finally have that in some. So here's my here's my big question for you guys, because they they sort of made a big deal about it when um, Giorgio was threatening uh, uh, Culber's children 
right? They made the, the bit about, oh, I could threaten your children or if I had time. And then yeah. Culver said, well, if I had time, I would have I children. children. Mm-hmm. By the end of this episode, they made a pretty like, I, I don't. I don't really know which direction the whole Stamets Adira thing is going in, but it kind of feels like uh, a chosen family, like a, um, a, a queer chosen family thing, which is a yeah. trope in uh, queer communities. So it makes me wonder, I'm like, is there going to be some point where Giorgio's going to threaten Adira? And I'm like, no, no, don't let it happen. But it's like, uh, I'm so curious. I'm so curious. Because I don't, I don't uh, know, like the, the it whole, felt the, pointed. It felt too pointed. The Giorgio storyline seems to be, I don't know, it, it, just the way that I feel about it, it just seems to be a little more afterthought-ish this season than how focused it was before. Maybe they're trying to phase out where she goes into this whole Section 31 storyline. I don't know. But for me in this episode, it's, it just seemed like it was being kind of shoehorned in wedged in to get to another story they're spreading it out they're spreading it out well, they've gonna, they've yeah. done that in every they've done yeah. that in every season though where there's all of these like micro storylines that and you're kind of looking all over the place at like what's happening with this character and what's happening with this character and then there's you know these characters over here and everything gets tied up at the end Hopefully, which the writers have done. I mean, I have confidence that the writers are not going (laughs) to leave us hanging. I mean, you know, the last season I was like, where's all this going? And then they did tie it up and I was like, very good. Good for you guys. No, they're, they're, they're doing, they're doing really cool. And I'm, I'm stoked. I love the direction it's going. And I love the weird, it's like a, I've been a a fan of Wilson Cruz for so long, ever since my so-called life. And Mm. they had a really cool, uh, thing at the end of that series with uh, Wilson Cruz as a gay character, essentially an orphan, orphaned by his, you know, rejected by his family, and then finding a new family at the end of that. So it has a great symmetry, you know, 25 something years later. You know, where, and at uh, some point, you know, there's there's some people in the chat that are saying that they don't think that like in the 32nd century that these conversations will need to be had and stuff. And right. like, I mean, that is a fair argument. But again, you guys, they're they're trying to represent the 32nd century as a reflection of us now. Like these conversations are not for the characters. They're for the audience. This is being made for 2020 viewers. There's a fourth wall that is being broken that I think that causes a lot of people some discomfort here because, you know, there are, there are times when colloquialisms are being used in the 20, in the 32nd century, the 34th century, where they... Like the bomb? Right. They, they shouldn't be talking with those colloquialisms, but they do. And that's okay. You know what? With they, No one can predict, obviously, like what cultural affectations are going to be dominant at that time. You know, we don't know that will lapel still be a thing? Will suits still be a thing? Will clothing still be a thing? Will walking on sidewalks that materialize still be a thing? We don't know. All we can do is... And that's the one thing that I was always worried about with going this so far in the future is how do you represent a a logical extension of where we are now 900 years from now, right? How are we going to talk? How are we going to interact? What is going to be said? What are the topics that are going to be discussed? You know, what's the technology going to be like? Are we going to be able to actually grasp and and, and comprehend that, um, that, they're just not that far advanced because they can only be advanced as ours imaginations and as the special effects can provide. So we can't really push that far forward. It's like an enterprise, right? They still have tactile buttons. 
you know, a hundred years from where we are now. And now we have, you know, touch sensitive screens. We don't know how that's yeah. going to work out. Yeah. Right? So in, in the next 10 years, we might have something that's better than programmable matter. We don't know. Right. So all they can do right now is take their best shot at telling the best story and trying to have at least a learning moment. I think according to uh, Voyager's 30 set, the 37s, we're supposed to have flying cars within the next like decade or so as well. Man, we're supposed to, you know, we're supposed to have time <laughs> we're still... you know, with Doc Brown in 2015. Yeah, so, like hey, these are not you know? anyways. Yeah, but I mean, the point is, is like th- these conversations hopefully will not need to be had in my lifetime. Like hopefully people will just be like, hey, I prefer to be called this and that'll be the end of it. Yeah, I think, um, the, I think the uh, like the, to, to wrap it all up there, Casey, for you, I think it's just a matter of it was a scene where where I think that Star Trek and these writers were trying to have a teaching moment with the majority of the crowd and saying like, this is a, this is a respect is still something that's high priority on the list with people. Which right? has, so, Star Trek has been doing that since 1966. Let's be yeah. honest. Not true. True. <laughs> and there's some, but the thing is that sometimes things have to be a little bit more overt, right? Than, than, uh, than subtle. But like I do think that the, the shortness of the scene, like that scene was essentially under a minute. And yeah, from then great. on, the characters called her, not her, they, they, they called Adira they, right. or them. Right. Which is rad. Which is totally rad. Mm-hmm. And, and it I'm was glad. like, it was not a big deal afterwards. It was like a 45 second to a minute scene. And then after that, it was like, that's, that's what we call, that's what we call Adira now. They, them. But I think it's definitely, I mean, Casey, I think the question was great. It's definitely worth, worth the, uh, the uh, exploration. Because I think that that's we're all coming from different spaces, you know, that don't really understand how important a pronoun is or a word is or a name is to someone personally. That affects them and their their being forever, right? That's a very and you don't thing. even get to pick your name. I was thinking about this earlier when I was rewatching the episode, and I was like, you know, your parents name you, and what if they name you something absolutely ridiculous that you hate? You mean like Norman? Oh, Norman's not a terrible name, and I like my name. I like my name. You know, my, <laughs> I like your name too. My, my I like mother, your name, Norman. Thank you, thank you. Kate. My like mother made my middle name rhyme with my sister's middle name, and then my sister made her two daughters' middle names rhyme too. <laughs> your sister's name Molly. No, our middle name. So my middle, middle name is Nadine, and her middle name is Irene, and then her two little girls are Ray and May. And I was like, is this a thing that we're going to carry on? Anyways, they're nice <laughs> names. But my point is, is like, if I didn't like my name and I wanted to be called something else, A, I can legally change it, but B, until that happens, I could request people call me something else. Oh, wait, I don't think we have enough time to get into the topic that I love talking about, is that when you're a child, you have no choices. That's... That's right. my point. Is like yeah. your your parents could name you something that you absolutely hate, or make you believe in a belief system that you don't believe in now. You know, add infinitum to that <laughs> discussion. So, um, but we have to move on. Thanks, Casey, for your uh, call in. Thank you for your question. Um, I, I think that was absolutely relevant to talk about, and I appreciate uh, you uh, having uh, the the gumption to help us bring that up and talk about. Thanks it. to you both. All right. Take care, buddy. Bye. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for calling. Have a good in. one. All right. And now, uh, hopefully, we have time for a little longer discussion here, too, with Alan. Alan, uh, how are you? And thanks for calling in. And I love the background. Hey. Yes, it's good to see you see you guys. Norman, I think this yeah. is the first time we're, we're talking. Holly, nice to see you again. You too. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to talk with you about this 
wonderful episode of Discovery, but I do have one sort of <clears throat> follow-up from the regular mission log uh, this week. And I don't want to be the prop comic guy, but I just want to say that Quark, you got to learn your, you got to learn your lessons. You know, I listened to Moogie. I kept mine in the box. Oh, man, that's awesome. That's going to, that's going to increase its value. You know that. Exactly. Right. I've had that sucker for easily 25 years now. So, you know, <laughs> that's so cool. That's the old, uh, what is it? The Playmates one? I think so. Yeah. 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 Playmates ages four and up. Yeah. The Playmates line the was really, really good. I'm still looking for a, a mint in the box. Mourn my namesake. Ooh, right. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, so what do you think about this week's episode? How did, how did you oh, feel I, about it? I, I, I thought it was again, you know, sort of echoing the other, other callers. Very good. Very enjoyable. I, you know, again, you know, it's, it is nice that Star Trek is, putting its its stamp very firmly on one of the the hot button social issues of our day and coming on uh coming out in a position that hopefully we can all agree on um but uh but yeah i i sort of moving on from that i i know you guys were talking a little bit earlier about osira and i kind of teased this in the uh in the chat but i I have some thoughts about uh, about the the look and the presentation of the Orions, oh, and it wow. is kind of interesting that they've reworked the Klingons to, uh, you know, we're not going to get into that debate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they've reworked the Andorians to questionable results, but for some reason, Orions are still green people with black hair. And that's kind of how they've been all this time. And it's, it just, you know, there was just one cultural reference that, that sort of stuck with me. And, you know, for Osira, I don't know how popular she will ultimately be as a character. Granted, this was just one short day that we were, that we encountered her. And thank goodness the Discovery crew survived. Speaking of which, sure was fun watching Denver defying gravity. Very, very good. Uh, anyway, as wonderful as that was, it did uh, undercut the threat of the Emerald Chain. Maybe I'm a sentimental man, but I feel like that the, the previous series, Orions, have had more style and personality in their presentation. But Osira feels more plain, like she's saying, I'm not that girl. Uh, not that change is necessarily something bad, or everything should stay the same for good. But it would have been more impactful maybe to give her a more severe presence as if no good deed has come from her. I don't know if she'll be a character we'll miss at the end of all this. Really, no one mourns the wicked. Wow. <laughs> applause, everybody. Applause, yes. applause, applause. Thank you. Well done. Sorry. Um, what I find interesting about what you said, though, and this is going to be something that I will probably see uh, I mean that we have seen on on the, on the interwebs, you know, you know the, the whole debate about the Klingons and them changing looks yeah. again, and people being upset about that. And then, you know, if I see a whole bunch of people complaining about the Orions essentially staying the same, though, <laughs> it's just going to be really amusing. Yes. Like, well, exactly. what do you want? You you <laughs> you complain when there's change. 
You complain when there's no change. I actually don't really have a problem with the way that the Orions look change or no change whatever like yeah. the green and that's great cool um my, my my biggest complaint about osira was just her reveal i was it just i was i was like eh. oh like i was super was amped and then right yeah i don't know i don't know what i expected i did i expect it to be like a legacy actor like i'm not sure what i expected but like she turned around and i was like well that's uh that's an orion yeah there she be, there she be <laughs> I think As maybe you can tell, need, I was like dime store Elphaba. <laughs> I mean, maybe they needed like a couple more episodes to build kind of up her reputation so that it did precede her a little bit more. Well, yeah, and, I don't feel like they did a bad job at that, though. That's why I was like super amped. I was like, let's let's see her. Let's see this chick. And then yeah. I was like, that's OK. Yeah. Well, and part of it might be. And, you know, granted, this was not necessarily the best representation for their species either but in the past <clears throat> they've always had this kind of you know like barely robert clothed howard, look robert e howard <laughs> conan the barbarian uh sort of tribalistic uh aesthetic to themselves and but that's she, because they were slaves exactly yeah. and and I, you know like i said i'm not saying that that's necessarily a good thing but it it was a thing yeah and this is She's just kind of a lady in normalish clothes, and and her flunkies are guys in uh, regular-ish uniforms, and you know it's 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 kind of a little bit more under under uh, under the under the radar, I guess. Yeah. Well, can I can I tell you guys an interesting story about like the color green, like the shade of green? Hmm. Go for it. So if you watch the original series like Vina and stuff like in Marta, like they're they have like a like a blue undertone to their green. And then if you watch Enterprise, they have like a yellow undertone. So yeah. in 2016, when I was working for the licensing arm of Star Trek at CBS, they um issued some 50th anniversary Barbies. And one of them was a special edition. It was only available at San Diego Comic Con and it was Vina. And um, I remember Mattel submitting many different heads of different, like, shades of green and us, like, racking our brains over whether to go with, like, the blue undertone or the yellow undertone or, like, find a happy medium. (laughs) So when she turned around, and actually I thought this when we saw Talor, too, in the Hun Hao episode is I was like, what's their undertone? Their undertone is blue. And I was like, well, that's, that goes in, in line with the original series, um, Orion's, but that's, it's so weird that that's like where my brain goes. I'm like, what's the undertone on the green mm-hmm. because of that experience with Mattel. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, in color theory, it's always going to be like, you know, how do you block out their natural tone and what's going to like, because whatever the base code is, is going to, determine whatever the top code is right so, and like know. i don't care either way like they could be gr- any weird shade of green i'm like as long as they're green i'm fine but i it's just very bizarre that that's where my brain went it's really well, like and in, in, um and in star trek continues uh the actress who played lolani i thought that they got her makeup right i thought they got that green right it's more traditional to the original series green than the green that we see on enterprise or, or now um but I, I get it it's it's like it's a you know, six and a half, one dozen or the other. It's really, it's, it's, I think that the, the, the bottom line, at least maybe for Holly and I, is that it's, 
her reveal was underwhelming and it should have been like yeah. done done but she was, I mean, she was horrible after that. I mean, you know, t- you know, the way that Talor died, I was like, that's rude. Like, wow. I mean, but so, I mean, I don't, and the actress is, is doing a fantastic job. I just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alan, I just put this together because I saw, you know, um, are you the Alan that puts together our memes? Yes, I, <laughs> yes, I am. It, it is a huge pleasure to meet you because you are oh, brilliant, yes. brilliant with those, by the way. Oh, well, I, I hope to uh, do justice to this week. Uh, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a stretch. Still coming up with something. <laughs> what with uh with soldiers of the empire? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure, not entirely sure where to go with this one per uh, se, but yeah, we'll see. You're yeah. always, you always come up with something clever. You never cease oh, to disappoint. There's always something. <laughs> there's always something. Yeah. So yeah, but um, yeah, I. I I think, I think you know you, you were talking about the the shading of the green, and you know, of course, I'm a TV nerd from way back, and you know, I'm just thinking of it in terms of like, how are they going to block that? Or, you know, what? <laughs> maybe they went with a different shade for the for the uh, chroma situation if they have to do something with that. So yeah, I don't know, but uh, but yeah, let's see what else. How are you feeling about the season in general? I like the season in general, and I, you know, I definitely feel like there's there's been progress, and and they've kind of brought all of the stories along fairly well. Um, I think you know they've they've definitely moved the burn along quite quite well. Um, I knew that song had something to do with it. I there knew you it. go. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it turns out it's. Uh, homing, homing signal. So distress, so distress beacon. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I have to correct myself from something I said earlier. I said cease to disappointment, cease to amaze. I mean, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> oh no, because, no, I. Yeah, I understood. It's it's, it's 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 live TV. You never know what happens on live TV. Uh, what did you guys think about Rin and Tilly scenes? Which, for those of you who might be in chat and don't know, those actors are married in real life. I thought they played it off really nice. I, I thought yeah. they looked good. And, I did yeah. too. Weirdly, knowing that, I sort of got emotional every time they had a scene, especially the scene where she tells him that like the reason why Osiris wants to get him back is because he's the only one that knows that they're running out of dilithium. And I don't know why, but like her, him sitting by himself while everybody else is like talking and like Tilly going over there and sitting down next to him. I don't know. I got emotional at that scene. I was like, what a nice little, like knowing that they're married in real life. And he's a, he's been a Star Trek fan since he was a kid. And I was just like, that's exciting. But also it's like to Tilly, to Tilly's credit, it's, that's what she does. You know, she, she finds those people and they're like, why are you doing, why are you sitting alone by yourself? Yeah. You know, like come here, you know, she's she's that friend in the lunchroom. Yeah. She's our she's our lunchroom friend because she knows what it's like when that happens and she doesn't want that to happen to somebody else. Especially yeah. it's hard it's hard to to integrate yourself uh with I mean first of all with an entirely, you know, uh Starfleet crew and being on the outside and he's like, "Look, I you know, we had this like Detmer and I had this great adventure. That was fun, but I ain't you, you ain't me. We don't know each other, you know, and I don't know, maybe he might come season 4, maybe part of the crew." I'd really like to see him join the cast, and I'd really like to see his antenna grow back. Yeah. Well, and it's, <laughs> well we can do something about that. Right? I've seen so many people like, why isn't his? And I'm like, guys, it takes like eight months. Don't you remember when Shran lost his? It takes a long time. 
Now this is uh, it's not uh, not an instant not an instant fix. No, and I'm sure that we'll see in the last few episodes. I'm waiting to see if they're like a little like bit growing bigger. Back, like yeah, stone, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I I I did like that scene too, and it kind of mirrored oddly something else that I've been sort of filling my quarantine. Well, not quarantine, so I'm not I'm not sick, but my lockdown time. Yeah, uh, was I've. Uh, for Cyber Monday, a certain different uh, science fiction TV show that rhymes with Dr. Blue uh, had, a, had a sale. And um, so I picked up all of the David Tennant seasons. And so I finished uh, season two and there's that whole run of Mickey saying, Oh, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm the tin dog of this, se- of this series. I'm the tin series. Yeah. And so just that it kind of had a weird echo of uh Rin and his like I was less I was less useful than the cat. <laughs> oh yeah. I thought that was a good line. It was a good line, yeah. And uh yeah, just um but yeah, he I I'm I'm looking forward to seeing uh him being another part of our extended discovery family now since he's kind of you know they're stuck with him. He's he's stuck with with them. And he feels like he feels like he'd be a very complex character, given like that he was born into the Emerald Chain and was the only one to talk back. And mm-hmm. you know, so I'm excited to learn more about him because I think he's going to be a super interesting character. Yeah, and you know, uh, Discovery uh, for as as diverse a cast as it is it needs more aliens. We need more alien characters. Yeah, who we got? We got we got Linus. You can tear off a piece of his face. (laughs) So poor Linus. I love Linus. He just gets owned every episode. Exactly. Um, And well, uh, I'm I'm sorry that we have to do this, Alan. Because I oh no worries. uh, I'm I'm so glad that we had a chance to connect here, at least you know face to face or like screen to screen. Uh, But we are at the bottom of our hour, and uh, we'd have to start wrapping the show up and uh, say our goodbyes to everybody who uh, thank you for joining us here um, for uh, Mission Log Live. Thank you for everyone in the comments section for being so interactive. And, you know, we apologize not to get to everyone's message, but, you know, we have, it's amazing how fast an hour can go. You know, we're doing a live show and trying to get in all the messages. So thank you for all the callers that called in. Thank you to Chris, Casey, and Alan. Um, Sam, next time, uh, we'll try and get you out of the pattern buffer to get into the show. Uh, but until then, thank you so much, Holly, for, again, being here and co-chairing the show and um, all of your insights and all of your trivia, because uh, your trivia abounds, you know, as as we love to have on this well, show. Well, thank you. I just, I feel like I just have real stupid stories. <laughs> no way. I mean, I think the stories are great. It's, you know, we all love that kind of, you know, like uh, the, the, that Blu-ray deep dive type of trivia. You know, <laughs> you can only get it on Blu-ray or on, on a bootleg copy of something. Uh, so anyway, thank you everyone for joining us. Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry, technical production on Mission Log Live by the indispensable Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log and accessories for tonight provided by Cufflinks Inc. I'll get this right one time. Oh, you, you got it right last week. I did. That was so natural. This was so awkward. <laughs> Cufflinksinc.com. So thanks to everyone who joined us live or later. Again, thank you, Holly. We'll see you again next week with John. 
Stay safe, stay healthy. We look forward to seeing you and talking with you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.